What is good, streaming people? Welcome to Canel and Bell. Danny's still on vacation, but Raja is here. Tommy is well. So, look, we've got so much to talk about, <laughs> so little time. Let's just get right to it. Last night, blockbuster deal. CP3 going to OKC and Russell Westbrook reunited with the beard. Your thoughts? Um, the summer of the NBA continues. Like, it's just... I mean, I was blown away. I was sitting there watching Summer League with my, my kids, and so I thought I read something on the little ticker on the side. It was at NBA TV. And I really kind of glanced over, and I was like, what in the hell is going on? Um, I didn't see it coming. Like, uh, uh, the last week, we've talked about the Heat a little bit. You know, we've, we've talked about them wanting to move Russ and, and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, I don't know why Houston didn't make sense to me. Like, it, or it made sense, but I didn't think it was a possibility necessarily. Uh, this is big. This puts Houston, who I already thought, and I said it on HQ the other day, was still in the conversation mm-hmm. in the West. I thought they were one of those teams that was in a good spot because you're being slept on. Everyone else has gotten fractionally better, and no one's talking about you, but you've been really good. Uh, I think they've gotten better. Now, and we'll get into why some people don't think they've gotten better. I think that's that's ludicrous, but I think they've gotten better. I think this is huge uh, for them and for Russell Westbrook. It's interesting. You know, I don't want to. Pat HQ in the back, but like you were watching Summer League, I was trying to, when the news came down, trying to find other venues to try to get some coverage, but we were actually right off the bat, HQ, right on top of it, had coverage and, and had breakdowns, our guy Reed Forgrave was, was doing a great job for us. It, it's interesting because this is like the slow time of the year, yeah. I mean, this week with the baseball all-star game, and yet the NBA has been the gift that's going to keep on giving, and, and what we're talking about right now essentially is... The crux of it, right? Because now we're going to break down a lot of different things because there's so much meat on this bone. But, but but it really comes down to now two former MVPs, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. And the funny thing is within minutes, Raj, I know you're not a big Twitter guy, but within minutes people were firing gifts and things about guys fighting over the basketball, the whole Spider-Man thing. Right. You look like me. I'm like mirror images. When you've had a night to sleep on it now, how do you think that will all work in Houston? Yeah, obviously their skill sets and styles that kind of overlap um, and, and are similar, right? Both of these guys are ball dominant players. Um, I actually thought that part of the problem with Houston last year was that they didn't have another guy who could just go get it um, with the ball in his hands. He, he most of those get create his, his own shot. Most of those players needed to be fed uh, by James Harden or Chris Paul. And Chris Paul, for whatever it was worth, whether he wasn't used the right way or didn't have the ball in enough, uh, have the ball in his hands enough to really get a rhythm, he didn't look like his former self. He looked like he was getting a little old. He wasn't able to create that separation. You're not going to have that problem with Westbrook. Mike D'Antoni's style has evolved into more of a wide open style. They either go high pick and roll or they go straight ISO to try to beat their man. Um, Russell Westbrook and James Harden are two of the best players in the NBA at doing that. And so I, I actually think it works fine. Now, there'll be some things that they gotta figure out. Russell Westbrook has to become a better shooter. So when he doesn't have the ball, you know, he's able to space the floor and, and keep his man engaged so he doesn't really lock down on James Harden. I think he'll do that. Professionals get better at it if they're asked to do it and they're put in a space where they need to do it. Russell Westbrook hasn't needed to do that. In this offense, in this system, he's going to need to do that. He will be in the gym this summer working on his three-point shot. He will get better at it. But purely just his style and what he wants to do, I think it fits fine because that's what Houston wants to do. And as we're taking a look right now at a graphic, two of the top three isolation players in the association. It's it's the way Houston played. I was on this show saying that Houston is playing so much iso ball 
and Chris Paul can't do that. Um, it, before I said that, I said they need to get Chris Paul the ball more because it's too much James Harden. But then it became obvious really quickly once they gave it to Chris Paul a little he bit doing that it. he couldn't do it. So if that's the way you're going to play, there's plenty of room for James Harden uh, and 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 uh, Russell Westbrook. They played that way last year in Oklahoma City, and Russell Westbrook allowed Paul George to basically become the MVP of the league until he got hurt. Like He doesn't have a problem giving up a piece of himself to play like that and try to win a championship. I think they'll be fine. So you know Mike D'Antoni well. What does he do as a coach? What do you anticipate some of the first conversations with Russell Westbrook will be? Because you mentioned there's going to have to be some give and take, but I think there's this assumption, right, that like Russ is going to have to dramatically change what he's doing. We talked about That's it yesterday in the Ellen Bell. That's what not Mike's style. style. Mike's not, Mike is not going to bring him in there. Mike's style is making you feel as confident and comfortable in what you do as possible. And you don't start that conversation. You don't start that process with the player by telling him you need him to change. You don't. You, 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 you bring him in and you, you know, you talk about, you glorify all the things that he does great and you tell him you want him to be himself and you tell him that, you know, his skill set is needed here and it's what's going to get you over the top as a player, uh, as a team. All of that speaks to a player. It makes you feel wanted. It makes you feel needed. It makes you feel safe and appreciated. So that's where you start. From there, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, in workouts, we got to script out a lot of jumpers for him. Like a lot, you know, these are things that conversations that he may or may not have with Russell Westbrook after a period of time. You know, I would imagine he'd tell him in that initial one, look, you're going to get way more catch and shoot threes than you've ever gotten. But he'll paint a picture where that's a positive for Russ. He'll make Russ uh, see the benefit of that for Russ's game, right? And then it'll be about getting to work in that space but he's not going to paint it as as like this is a hole in your game that we need to fix he's going to tell you why these open threes that you're going to get are going to be so great for you um, and we love all the rest of the stuff that you do so let's get to work and Russ is going to buy into that it's, the first conversation I had with Mike D'Antoni we were at Mastro's in uh, in Phoenix Arizona I was sitting there with my wife Jerry Colangelo Brian Colangelo um, Laurel D'Antonio and Mike we were talking David Griffin and he said, hey, we've got, I don't know, 900 vacated threes from last year. Now, I had shot like 112 the year before in, in Utah. I wasn't a three-point shooter at the time. He's like, we got like 900 vacated threes between like Quincy, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Q Rich and, and Joe Johnson and whoever else had left. Um, he was like, I'm going to need you to shoot 450 of those. And I was like, what? You know, like, what the heck are you talking about? He was like, listen, it's... It's going to be so great for you. You're going to get shots you've never thought you'd get before. Like, we just got to get in the gym. You got to get accustomed to shooting them. You got to get comfortable pulling six, seven, eight threes a game. And in my head, I was like, man, that's not what I do. But it spoke to me, right? I was like, man, this is going to be good for me. I'm going to get a lot of good, clean looks that I don't have to work for. Let me get in the gym and work on that. And it put me in a really good space as a player because, number one, he was confident in my ability to do that. Like, he expressed that. Number two... Right. He he made me comfortable in that I needed to do that for the team to win. It wasn't me looking for buckets. It wasn't me hunting shots. This is what I needed to do for this team to have the best shot to win games. And so I was all in. Russell will be the same. So we showed a graphic there, by the way. So, again, one of the challenges for Mike D'Antoni and how he, he gets Russell Westbrook to improve that three-point shooting, which a guy right now is sub-30%. At his best, I think, was 34 and change. So if he can get to, like, 35, 36 within the next two years, he's going to be 
that's going to that's going to speak volumes about what they're doing, right? Because I mean, it may not seem like a big jump, but for him, that's a pretty nice increase if he can get there. It is thirty four percent. If he got back to thirty four percent as a three point shooter, thirty three percent, they're going to be fine. Like twenty nine percent is not great. Thirty four, thirty five percent for a guy who does all the other stuff that Russell Westbrook does is is a is a decent number. Um, and I'm going to make the case again. I did it off air with Brad Botkin. Yep. Russell Westbrook has been, to some degree, allowed to stay in his lane as a player for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, Yeah, where there's not a whole lot of help around him, and coaches have an idea, all of them, of the way you're going to play. Until the season rolls out, and you start seeing the games unfold, and then you realize that Russell Westbrook by himself, just going from rim to rim, equals about 40-some wins. So you're like, damn, like I could script out a lot of stuff, maybe get us to 40 wins. I know that what Russ does is going to get us 40 minimum. Um, so you kind of let him just keep doing that because it's an MVP level. He's won MVPs. He's averaging a triple-double. Um, so he's kind of never had to grow in that space as a three-point shooter because people have played this specific way or particular way with him. I think that he'll have to grow as a shooter to play – in Houston, and I think he will grow because it'll be the first time in a long time where someone has challenged him to do that. No one's challenged him to do that. So there's going to be the conversation statistically again of three point shooting percentage, how many threes, and that's all good, right? And, and we talk about how they're going to fit this season, but let's talk about again hypothetical playoff time, yeah. fourth quarter time, Russ and Harden Match-ups. on the court Match-ups. at the same time. Matchups. I if I have the matchup. And I'm Russ. It's my time to eat. So that almost it, makes it easier to – because there's this whole talk of will Russ defer? Can he defer? He doesn't need to. There's, there doesn't, those guys are – first of all, they've got a really good relationship. They've played together before. This doesn't have to be a defer conversation. So Eric asked me, Debo asked me, our producer, like, can you get the, bus, the best of James Harden? Can you maximize James Harden if you have Westbrook? I would make the argument, like, if you're a coach, you don't want to maximize – Anybody. All of these guys are so gifted that if you absolutely maximize them, they might have 50 points, like 10 assists, and their team loses. That's maximize them, their skill set. You want like 80% James Harden, right? And like 80% of what, of what Russell Westbrook can do. So they both make a natural concession to play on the team together, and neither one of them is going out there saying, give me the ball every time because I can beat my man, which they can. Like, you understand that's, what that's I mean? back in OKC when they were younger. You got some Team USA stuff. Now they're established superstars, former league MVPs. Still, this, matchups. Yes, see. matchups. This is, I have two of the most gifted offensive, like, one-on-one players in, in the game. And that's naturally the way I played the last two years. This becomes, like, James Harden, if you are cooking, go to work and cook. Uh, Russ, if we get it in transition, you flow out and get your buckets there. If we bog down into the half court and Russ has the better matchup, James Harden, you can spot shoot. So Russ is going to try to beat his man, attack the basket. The man averages a triple-double, so he's getting over 10 assists a game. He's a willing passer. He'll get off the ball. I don't see why anyone has to make a huge concession in terms of the, the way they play. I think they will fit together fine. As of July 12th, 2019, which yep. is this Friday, hours after the trade, where do you have the Houston Rockets in the West? We know the L.A. teams have made a move. We know that 
The Jazz have made some moves. We know the Warriors will take a step back. Where does Houston fit now with CP3 and Harden as we take a look at the projections for Sportsline, which, by the way, saying after the trade, their win total actually goes down 0.3. That's so stupid. Listen, man, with all due respect, with all due respect, I know that's in-house, and I don't know the guy who does it. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's utter absurdity. You're telling me that they're going to... All right, so maybe that one's not crazy, but the next one, if we have that stat, it shows Oklahoma City actually gaining better than they five were. wins mm. without Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Like, you can't... Come on, man. Like, that, that we can't do that. Like, we can't do that. That's... Does that... And all the draft picks can play the courts? Come on, man. Like, come on. I'm not even going to get into that, but... What I will say is you could make a case because Houston has been so good for the last, what, four years, and they've won so many games, that maybe they don't win as many games during the regular season this year for one reason or another. That that rarely happens that you continue on that trajectory. Uh, But I do think they are more equipped to get over the hurdle in the playoffs. If you added Russell Westbrook to that team last year without who they lose, Clay, Mm -hmm. and without Kevin Durant, they're not losing that game. Yeah, I mean, They're you could argue losing. the last two years even, without Russell Westbrook and and a very diminishing CP3. They They're were not. on the cusp. Two years ago, they should have won. Last year, they had a chance to. They obviously didn't get it done. And, and look, you got to you got to win the games, and the Warriors certainly did that. But, but everyone was sleeping on Houston because everyone else was making moves. Again, the LA teams were making moves. Everybody right. else was making moves. And now here they sit making a blockbuster deal, and now they have the potential to to really elevate themselves. This is the year for Daryl Morey. Uh, yeah, this is the year. Now the. Because if it doesn't work, what sucks, what sucks for them is the West has gotten much stronger. Like I was, I was saying that they needed to stand pat because I thought their window, you know, was still open. Even if KD stayed, I thought their window was open when he left. Certainly open, but now you've everyone else has gotten better. But they're right in the mix. You've got, but they got better without giving up a lot, right? Because you're giving up just CP3 and picks. You still have your core that you thought was pretty good. And yeah, still has this window. It's just that their window, I think, is shrunk. And maybe in one year, possibly two. Definitely not going to be three because if they don't win one in the next year or two, like D'Antoni probably won't be there. Maury probably won't yeah. be there. Well, and, I, and it's like, what do you do with Harden? Because Westbrook's contract, his contract, you're not going to be able to build anymore. He's going to be on the other side of 30. I'm not looking at it from a front office perspective in terms of what you had to give up to get something. Right. I'm looking at what you got on paper. Like, what are you rolling out there to play with next year? Purely in a vacuum, like how these teams are going to stack up when they get on the court. You have to put both Los Angeleses in the mix. Uh Utah's got to be in the conversation. Um, you know, Denver is not going anywhere. They are young. They've added, excuse me, they're, they, they, they've added experience. Portland, you know, has to be considered in there. Houston is in the mix. Um, I, there are seven teams in the conversation. I haven't even talked about Golden State or San Antonio. Um, I think Houston is going to fall in that three, four range in the regular season. They'll be somewhere around there, maybe three, four, five, depending on how things work out, if it's a game or a half game here or there. But I do think they're better equipped in playoffs. They are better, and I think they're actually in their best position because there are more teams, as you mentioned, that have come up to close to where they're at. Mm -hmm. But also the two teams that you feared the most came down. The Warriors came down, and the prospects of a a three-superstar team in Los Angeles with the Lakers did not happen. So even though the Clippers are up, the Lakers are up, if they would have been able to get Kawhi, the Lakers would have been this much sure, higher. Correct. If Katie would have stayed, the Warriors would have stayed that much higher. So even though you've got more around you, I think now it's a more of an even playing field as opposed to going up to those three superstar teams there. So, all right. So we uh, had our top five NBA duos that we talked about yesterday. And yeah. all of a sudden, we got to re, re- yeah, figure out what now, we right? do, right? Because remember we were saying, man, like we don't have James Harden on this list. Yeah. You can't insert Tucker or Capella. CP3, yeah. Gordon, 
Um, that changes now. So I'll let you go first. Uh, how, do, how does the Russ and Beard duo change your list? So I'm going uh, same at the top, uh, LBJ and AD, Kawhi and PG. Uh those are my one and two. Okay. And they could be fluid. I mean, I don't, you know, those are, you're, you're nitpicking at that point. But I have Harden and Westbrook at three before Steph and Clay and then Giannis and, and, and Chris Middleton. So I would knock out Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. All right. So I also knocked down our guys, but I actually like Harden and Westbrook better than Kawhi and PG 13. Really? Now let me tell you why. Cause like, so I mentioned yesterday, I don't know how healthy Paul George is, and yep. even though I will concede, I'd rather have Kawhi as, a, as the better overall player over Harden. I just think then Westbrook right now better overall player than PG thirteen, which is why I'm splitting hairs about why I'm kind of putting him at two instead of you having him at three. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I don't. Look, when you're talking about those top, you know, those top tiers, you really are splitting hairs, and it comes down. Sometimes it comes down to stylistically what you like to look at, the, what the style you want to play. Um, you know, I just think. Westbrook, and I feel like I'm being an apologist today, which I sh- I shouldn't do, but I've gotten triggered all morning with the Westbrook thing. Do you know how impossible it is to average a triple double? And I we're flipping about it. Like guys come in and they're like, "Oh, it's a triple double." Yeah, dude, I played 13 years in the NBA. I could barely get a damn double double. It is it is a, an impossible thing to do. But he's done it over the last two seasons, full seasons. Like you don't do that without being a brilliant basketball player for whatever it's translated into wins and losses and championships. I don't give a damn. This dude is an awesome basketball player um, with a little direction. Like uh, he he'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. Like the, it, the, he'll work on his his jump shooting. He'll figure out how to how to integrate himself into that offense. Mike will help him figure it out figure it out. So will James Harden. Like I just feel like you know he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's self inflicted, but I ain't gonna do it. Uh, Debo in my ear saying you had four career double doubles, so you know. What? Should we get that in there? In high school. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one thing I will say. We're gonna wrap up this segment, and we'll talk more about Chris Paul and and the Thunder and and sort of what they're doing. But I think it's it's a really good situation for Russ because the conversations leading up to once Paul George left was like he can't go to a true contender and he can't go to a full rebuild. He's got to go to this no man's land where you know because of his contract in four years, hundred seven. Right. He's in a position where. He can change that narrative. He can he can get that championship. And we mentioned Carmelo Anthony about the the situ the stops in OKC in Houston why it didn't work. Um, but Russ is still at a much better talent level in terms of this stage of his career. So I think you know all things considered for Russ, this is probably a dream scenario given everything that's happened in the last week. I I agree with you one hundred percent. What we haven't talked about at all um, is the is that chip that's going to be on the shoulders there in Houston. All of those guys that have been in Houston. It's an organic chip. They, they, they've been that close. They haven't gotten over the hump. A lot of them trade rumors swirling around. We're not good enough as currently constituted. We got to move pieces. Like that motivates you, right? That gets you fired up. James Harden has to be, you know, like feeling some of the heat as a player who himself can't win a championship as the leader of that team. Russell Westbrook will be dropped into that and have the very same chip on his shoulder as all those guys have, right? Like, so you are going to see a fired up, if if there was any fatigue in Houston from the last few years of, of playing that style of basketball, winning that many games, they are going to be re-energized and reinvigorated come training camp. That's going to be a tough team. No one's going to want to see them next year. 
From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. That was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Back here in a Canel and Bell, Tommy Trandall, Rajah Bell. Now we've uh, talked about Houston and how that's projected to work. Now let's take the other side of the coin and talk about the OKC Thunder, which in a span of a week, Rajah lost two of their all-NBA guys, a core that they thought were going to be together to at least push for a title. And now neither Russell Westbrook, Paul George are there, and they've gotten like eight draft picks since. All right. Definitely. Let me dig into this because even you, the verbiage that you just used, right? Like, I, like they lost them, right? That that alludes to the fact that like they couldn't have kept them, mm. right? It was like it was out of our control; we couldn't keep them. I don't love the narrative um, that the media is propagating that this is all player driven, right? I, this is conspiracy theories, but I, I think that the owners. I don't know if Adam Silver is involved in this, but they are driving the narrative of not having any control, mm. that the players are running all of this and they are forcing these teams' hands to do what they have to do. That all fits like, you know, with the agenda for them to come in heavy handed at the next collective bargaining agreement and say, we can't have this anymore. This has been happening way too long. Players are driving. Like, as a society, we don't love that. We don't like to see players running the show. We want the owners to run the show. You don't want to see the employees, you know, making rules and, and, and calling shots. You want the bosses to do that. And so if that narrative keeps getting driven home to the public for public consumption, like my point is the players didn't do this. Oklahoma City, I said it yesterday. Oklahoma City had a choice to make. Paul George was locked up for another two years. You weren't running the risk of losing him. You weren't. You had him under control for a couple years. Russell Westbrook's in the middle of a contract. Still has three years left on that deal. You don't have to move him if you don't want to move him. Players didn't force your hand. What happened was you saw as a franchise that you were not getting over the hump. You probably didn't want to pay the luxury tax, which I am fine with, right? And if you decide at that point as a franchise that you want to tear this thing down and for the first time in Oklahoma City's um, existence as, a, as an NBA franchise want to go through a rebuild, you're fully within your right to do that. I support that. I have no problem with that. But I don't love that we turn it around and make it look like the players are forcing their way out of town right. and that the clubs have no control over whether or not a guy stays or not. That's ridiculous. A couple of things here. I want to follow up to what you talked about. Uh, first off, the note there, OKC paid $60 million in luxury tax. And again, if you're a repeat offender, that ex- exponentially grows. OKC also is sort of the, the banner small market franchise because mm-hmm. we talked about Sacramento, Indy, Milwaukee. They've got Giannis now. But like they've had the sustained success this decade that few other small markets have been able to do, not alone one star, but two, and, and, and even oftentimes three when they went to the sure. finals. Now, I do want to follow what you said there because it's interesting the way that I, I framed it, the way you've now conveyed that and turned it. And I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but remember when baseball was going through the Manny Machado, Mike Trout deals, all these 10-year big deals. And it's interesting how much people on Twitter and fans side with the billionaire owners more than the players, right? Because it's like, okay, like they, they come in and they go, all right, like, he doesn't deserve $300 million. He doesn't do, NBA is a little bit different because it's like, 
they all think, the, as you mentioned, the players drive the bus. Like they are the ones because of player empowerment, player movement. Long gone are the supermax four or five year deals. A lot of people doing the two and ones, one and ones. It, it's it's a quite interesting dynamic when you look at the association. But this is a this is a this isn't an NBA topic. This is a society topic. Right. This is a mental a herd mentality type of topic, right? More um, than it is a, about the NBA. Typically, it, look, the NFL is king. We know that, right? For a lot of reasons. It's not just the sport. It's not just that people love the collisions, although it's it's part of the reason. They love the control that NBA or NFL owners have. They love the fact that given you know you not performing up to your ability, they slice that and keep it moving. The, the player really has no – whether they – subconsciously love it or or consciously support it the fact is they like that they like those guys having the control for one reason or another people are not in love with with nba players uh creating their own destiny and making you know alliances and and creating super teams my question would be why the hell not like how does that so uh how does it offend you to the point where, where where it's a problem but owners are really really smart dudes yeah. so is the commissioner they see that. They understand that. So to drive that narrative home through the media, that's all you hear, man. Like players move, players this, players. Look, teams have a choice. They have choices. If they choose to move off of a guy, that's their choice, right? Players are under contract. We, right. we are there. You, you essentially, you own our rights. Like if, if your hand is forced or you feel your hand is forced, that's on you. That's not that. I think that narrative is unfair and I think it's being driven home for a purpose. And that's a collective bargaining. One more button up on that too, to your point. And that's why it'll be interesting to see when people consume and digest the information that they're given. Just think about the NBA insiders that are basically now superstars in their own right because the NBA is a 12 month sport and all right. this, all this offseason stuff. You hear the, the cliche NBA offseason better than the, than the real season or the finals. These insiders, where are they getting their information from? Agents, front office people. Yeah. So to your point, if you're a front office person, because like once this trade went down, there was already, there's already that, that article of how the deal went down. So the prism generally comes from, you know, the, the way the deal went down from the front office oh, perspective. You very rarely, very rarely do you get the player side. No. And that's why, like, again, when we talked about, and this is, we're way off base now, but we talk about LeBron and his, his media, you know, company, um, the shell, what is it, the shop or the barbershop, whatever it is. Yeah, on HBO. Um, you know, there was there were people that didn't love the authenticity of it and the way they were up there talking. And I'm like, dude, like you, you as fans and as human, like we, we we want authenticity. You want a real glimpse into what's into what's going on in, in in someone's brain and what they really feel. And you never get it. You don't know you never get it. But what you're getting from the media is never or very rarely from from a player's perspective and a genuine opinion. And there you have it. It's only one guy who can really get his own narrative out there, and it's LeBron. All the rest of them are created by, to your point, front office, um, you know, ownership groups, you know, um, you know, your your media company or whoever does your PR. Like those are those are things that are generated and, and agendas are being driven home. And so, you know, I, I, I this one in particular is a, is it's it's like a flashpoint for me because I keep hearing it over and over, and it took me, you know, almost half of a off season to realize, like, man. This player-driven narrative is really going to be detrimental to the players come next CBA. Like, this is something they need to start fighting now, or other, you're going to get hit over the head with it in 2023. We see, we may see more of it, but a few of the smarter guys do lean on either, if they're in big enough markets, can lean to beat writers and, and have that avenue a little bit more. But not nearly enough, though, that what we're seeing right now. Right. Let me uh, steer the ship back to what we're talking about with uh, the Thunder and, and Chris Paul. By the way, I hope we... 
you know, I, I think I'm going to be filling in one more time next week or maybe two more times. We should try to get an OKC uh, presence and get the pulse of what that, that market is feeling sure. right now. Because we've talked about, again, they've been sort of um, the model small market franchise, you know, nine playoff appearances this decade. But anyways, uh, CP3, what are the chances he actually puts on that Thunder uniform and, and plays a full season next year? Not very good. Oh, the ch- a full season? Oh, yeah. I mean, I fraction, like fractional percentage of a chance that I'm talking <laughs> about, like half a percent chance that he finishes the season. And okay, see, look, neither one of us thought, and I've been on record as saying it, I, I didn't think the Chris Paul deal was movable. Um, Two it, of I, the three top you know, contracts in terms of toughest to move, by the way, happened last night with Westbrook and CP3 going the other Swap, right. And so, you know, for that reason and the space that OKC is in in a franchise right now, which would be in a complete rebuild. We we're talking about their their draft picks going forward. 2020, they've got their own. They've got Denver's. Uh, 2021, their own and Miami. Uh, 2022, their own and the Clippers. Uh, 2023, their own and Miami. It's like they've got multiple first-round picks in the next five drafts and in the fifth draft they have three first round picks that's not a space where you want Chris Paul in there what do you want him for you're in a complete rebuild mode you want to be as bad as you possibly can because Denver's pick's not going to be very good next year Miami's picks I mean it, it depends middle of the pack but their draft picks are never really good because right. Pat Riley is always trying to be fighting for the A spot so you always fall outside of the lottery the Clippers you have to imagine isn't going to be good um and so you want your pick, if you're OKC, wow. to be the best possible lottery pick you can get. And in the process, the players like Diallo and the young kids like Terrence Ferguson that you still have on your roster, you want them to be able to spread their wings and, and figure out who they are as NBA players and in the process determine whether or not they're guys you want to move forward with. Chris Paul is in the way of that. He's a good, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Chris Paul. He's too good to be an OKC right now. Right. They don't need him. They want to be bad. I don't know if he's the type of player that's going to, because he still, he still wants to win, right? Because you talk about like young teams like the Pelicans that picked up Reddick, right? Yeah. Or if you look at the Suns, they're young and they need some veteran presence. They would benefit from having that, but, but OKC will be young. They want to probably be bad, so their picks will be good. There's no way Chris Paul is going to go to that locker room and feel good about his situation. No, that's going to be, even look, even if you didn't want to move him, let's say you don't, you can't see this the way I, I, we see it, right? And you're like, no, Chris Paul's going to come in here. We're going to make a playoff run. I imagine Chris Paul would be miserable, and if Chris Paul's miserable, I imagine he's going to make a lot of other people miserable. Here on Canel and Bell talking about youth basketball, but with sort of the caveat that uh, NBA guys, like so, for instance, I teased Julius Randle's got an injury, an X-ray later found out. Um, a stress reaction, which is a precursor to a stress fracture without a break. And, and part of it here is, is basically going back to being a, a youth playing. You know, we live in the specialized day and age of sports. You've got kids, Danny's mm-hmm. got kids, and you guys have talked about it a lot here at Canel and Bell. But like the AAU system, I don't know if you can, can just target that and just go right there and say, well, playing too much basketball at a young age leads to this down the road. And, and now all of a sudden a 24 year old player really has the body of a 28 year old player. I mean, I mean, how do you see that whole dynamic? I, I don't think it's specific to basketball. This is a basketball related article. This was the one that highlighted some of the, um, you know, p- potential n- negatives to these sports, all sports in general being consumed the way they are at such a young age. Um, the body is always, I've always seen it as like a car. It has an odometer on it. Um, you know, we talk about guys coming into the league and having, it's an odometer. It's no one knows how many miles you have on you or how many miles I have on you. Eventually it can only take so much and something's going to happen to it. And so when you start putting miles on that odometer, which is the child's body, 
like really early, you know, there's potential that that thing's going to give out a lot earlier because it, it, it just can't, it can only take but so much. And so what's happening in youth sports now, and I am a participant in it to some degree, is these kids are playing, and I'll just talk basketball. Because football is year-round now, too. Like, football is seven-on-seven, year-round, and then you're back into your tackle season. I mean, sports used to be, when we were younger, you played baseball and baseball season. You know, then you played basketball and basketball season, football and football. Like, you you played different sports. You used different muscles. Your body was able to refresh. Um, Mentally, you could refresh because you weren't dealing with the same guy all the time. Now it's year-round. So my basketball team, for example, plays... Every other week. I don't play them every other week. I play that. I mean, I don't play them every week. I play them every other week. So you'll get two tournaments a month, roughly. Um, in those tournaments, you're going to get four to five games in a two day span. It's not terrible, but you know, over the course of a season, like we played about six months, you know, you're talking about, you know, 48, 60 games that guys have played. Um, that's almost an NBA season for these little dudes, right? And, I only practice my teams twice a week and people are like, Oh my God, we need to be in the gym more than that. And so on and so forth. But hear me out though. Like if, if, if you're doing that, you are really grinding on a kid and it's really not the parents and kids want it. I have parents that want to play every weekend and they want their kid to be in the gym five nights a week. And my question is why? Like they don't need to be in there that much. I push my kids as hard as anybody, um, when they're on the court. But I know they don't need to be on the court every night. I know they don't be, need to be in a gym or on a field every night. A kid has to be a kid at some point, not just for physical. Like we're talking about mental burnout. You're talking about depression. You're talking about a lot of ramifications for treating kids like pros when they're 12 years old. I fully support, and I've made, I've talked about it on air about taking my kid to see his quarterback coach, you know, once a week. So he's proficient when he goes to his football season. Like, you know, I, I, I have my kids in the gym shooting jump shots, you know, maybe twice a week so that they're proficient when they go to their games. It's not their job right now, right? So here we're taking a look here, and I, and I don't want to put you in a spot to be like the czar of, of youth sports or even youth basketball, but here are some suggested guidelines. You take a look at that. So you're talking about the, at the top, you're talking about middle school, right? Junior high with seventh and eighth graders, sort of the, the guidelines of, of how often – and then you go to the high school ranks, of course, where freshman year to, to senior year, where do you sort of take away? That's stupid. That's from the NBA? Debo, that's from the NBA, yeah. That's yep. stupid. Seventh and eighth graders play one game a week? Practice? One practice a week? Like that, look, Tommy, with all due respect to that, um, and not, not because my team practices more than that. We practice twice a week and play every other weekend. The, the tournaments that these kids are in, like, you're not going to get one game tournaments. And when I was young, even though I didn't have AAU or anything like that, I was at the park consuming way more basketball than that. You know what I mean? Like you're playing multiple games in a night at the park. Yeah. You're doing that overnight. Uh, physically, we we have strength trainers now for kids that are 11, 12 years old. Um, you have coaches that don't know what they're doing in terms of strength and conditioning that are just running kids into the ground at 11 and 12 years old and their parents love it because little Johnny's out there and he's getting his ass whooped and he's there, comes home and he goes right to sleep. And they're like, oh, this is great. But a lot of these guys don't know what they're doing. Anybody can start an AAU program. I mean anybody. All you have to do is have the funds Money. to get uniforms and to pay the entry cost into a tournament. That doesn't mean you're, you're qualified to teach basketball A or to physically like train kids B. Um, and it's a, it's a money maker. They're making money hand over fist and parents are consuming the hell out of it. And so like, I, I don't pretend to be like an expert. I don't have the right answer. I just know 
for my kids, I want them to be kids. They can still compete in sports. They can still try to be the best they they can be in those sports, but they also have to be kids and they have to have time off. It's uh, it's interesting you bring that. It's like the, the money hand over fist because I didn't, and then, look, I've only been in Florida for a year and a half and I, and I don't have, have kids, so I don't know what the structure is. But when I left California, you know, financial problems in the state and, and they're talking about pay for play for PE or other after school activity stuff. Like there isn't even money to do normal stuff. But you go to the other outlets and you talked about the growth of like football. You have seven on seven soft helmets and all those things and you have AAU and, and, and soccer. There's all these regional tournaments. Oh my gosh, soccer. Like, and, and I've learned my barber has kids that play soccer and they talk about the, the trips that they have to go to Bradenton or, or Fort Myers or go out sure. to Jupiter. It's just like every weekend though, he says he's got his kid going to either a basketball, uh, thing or a soccer thing. And it, to me in my head, I'm getting my hair cut and he's like, it sounds like a lot. And for him, though, it sounds like it's old hat, like it's all part of the process. And so it's very interesting, you know, how much we pour into this stuff. And, and if you're a kid, it's like almost information and physical overload. It is. And, and you know, again, I'm, I'm in this world. I coach these teams. I did it out of what I thought was necessity. I never wanted to coach my kids, but I realized really quickly when I put my, my oldest – um, in travel ball in the fourth grade that the guy who was running that had no idea what he was doing. He was. Have just, you seen like, like worst case scenario, like serious injuries while you were there? Like just, um, uh, the, the worst injuries I've seen have been football related at a young age. I saw a kid tear his ACL at 12. Um, but this kid comes from a family, um, that they train them every day like they are professional, um, football players and, the more you train, the more brittle, uh, sometimes and, and more, you know, the tighter your, your little tendons and muscles get and your frame can't withstand that. Like kids don't need to be lifting weights and training like that right. when they're 11 and 12 years old. If you want to get them some balance, you want to work on their core, they do some push ups and pull ups. Okay. They don't need to be training like they're going to win the Olympics next year when, when they're 12 years old. I, I just don't believe in that. And then, you know, the flip side of it is like, there's so many rankings now. They're, they're ranking second graders, Tommy. Like they got the best second grader in the country according to X, Y, and Z. So another parent sees that and they're like, "Well, damn, my kid's pretty good. I want him to be the best second grader in the country. So let's get our training regimen." And and so it's just it fuels it, right? Now everybody is competing to be the second, the best second grader in the country. You know what the best second grader in the country never did? What? Like he never made no money playing basketball or football or soccer. Like let them grow up. You know, and if you want to chase that dream when you get into, you know, like 10th grade or 9th grade even, like, I'm all for that. But when they're, like, in 3rd, 4th, and 5th grade, I tell my kids all the time, they're that's like, Dad. So, or that's hella. This kid, I'm like, man, who cares if they're the second best kid in the country at, at, at 12 years old? That's nuts. Uh One note here from producer Nevo here. 36% of high school athletes classified as highly specialized training in one sport for more than eight months out of the year. Those athletes were two to three times more likely to suffer a hip or knee injury. Yeah, look, if you are making the exact same repetitive movement every day for you know eight nine months, the risk for potential injury is a lot higher. I I have parents ask me all the time when I meet them on the road when we are traveling because we do travel. I mean, we'll be in Virginia in a couple weeks to play in an AAU national. Um, and inevitably someone will ask me, Hey, my, my son's a good player. What can I do to help him get over the hump? You know, they, they see an NBA future for the kid. And you know what I tell them? Mm. Let him play another sport. Yep. Like what, what does he like to do? Oh, he only likes basketball. I'm like, well, you probably haven't exposed him to anything other than basketball. Put a tennis racket in his hand or teach him how to swim or let him try to play football or soccer. Expose them to something different. If you want whatever the sport is to be long term for them, yep. don't grind them out on it when they're six, 
and seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven years old. Find another sport that they can participate in, both for physical and mental reprieve, and let them play multiple things to avoid either burnout or breakdown. Or breakdown, right? correct. Back here, Canel and Bell on a Friday, getting you ready for the weekend. Uh, if you've been joining us the first fifty minutes, thank you. That was a conversation that we've had. A couple of things that we had here getting to. Yeah. Uh, Friday night and Saturday. All right, so let's show you some video and let you decide whether it's legit or not. And it's Odell Beckham Jr. throwing the football really, really far. You see, he does get a running start, jumps and chucks it, and it goes all the way to the other end zone, which allegedly is 100 yards. What does the eye test tell you? Mm, that looked like a real field. I was trying to count the lines right. as it went by. See, the problem with that one, I mean, Joe Hayden, that's Joe Hayden, right? Is that Joe Hayden yeah. in the corner? Looks like his reaction to that was, like, stunned. Some of the guys on the sideline <laughs> looked pretty amazed. But I never saw the ball in the air. Oh, yeah. Then, you know what I mean? I saw it on ascension. Yeah, and then I saw it come down, but I never saw it. I mean, bro, that guy's just a bionic man if he could throw a ball that far. I don't know what else to say. OBJ for uh, laughing, crying emoji saying, man, where Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes at? Tell him we need to have a throw-off. Uh, I'm sure Josh Allen would like to have a word as well too, but I mean the dude obviously is a is a physical freak, great talent, generational talent, and uh, you know video. Yeah, it would have been great if whoever had that shot lifted it up a little bit, but yeah. Look, I was blessed with some physical like um uh um like attributes in terms of being able to play sports. Yeah, um, I can I can hit targets. One thing I cannot do is throw a ball far. Yeah. Like I really well, don't. How about like a spiral too. Do you can spiral. Do you know, oh no, I can, can throw. I, I can okay. throw a football well, okay. and I can hit targets with the football. I just don't have like I wasn't gifted with pure arm strength. Yeah. So I always marvel at if I throw a ball for like four minutes today, like just having a catch with you tomorrow, my shoulder will be on fire. Like it's just not <laughs> what I'm built to do. Going from uh, a wide receiver throwing balls perhaps a hundred yards to a defensive back, Josh Norman running, jumping with the Bulls. Pop oh. The, oh. I mean, our guy David Sampson was out over there too, so you know we got to get him back one time to talk about exactly what's going on. But look at that! So he's he's jumping over a bull. <laughs> he got out of there quick. <laughs> oh, he got out of there quick. I don't understand what I. This is one of those things I just don't understand it either. What is the point of this? I think you know, you just obviously a cultural thing, a tradition thing. You just go over there and and, and you try to um un. You try to come out clean, whether it's running with the Bulls or, or in there in the arena. You're just basically making sure you don't get poked and prodded, man. What good could come from that? Now, whether now he had just that one Bull video we saw, and he, he's just kind of jumping over it. It'd be different. I don't think he'd be doing uh, the acrobats type of stuff if he was running with multiple Bulls. No, I mean, but even that, what good could come from that? Say what you, are the, it's, like, it's like you say. I did it? Yes. And then what are the potential, like, what are the, what are the I potential? Mean, death. You get gored by a damn Bull. Correct. I'm out. That is the worst I just, case scenario. I, 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 I'm die. out. Yeah, I'm out. I just don't understand it. Like, it's pretty amazing that he can broad jump a damn bull or leapfrog a bull. Like, great for good for you. Like, I'll even ask David Sampson when he comes here, what yes. in the hell is what's so cool because there, about running with some bulls? Yep. Running with the bulls and then being in an arena. That one was a little bit more control because I, I only saw one there. All right. Let's uh, talk NFL refs taking a step back. ESPN saying the league has suspended the program amid labor negotiations with the Referees Association. Quote, Barring a turn in negotiations, the decision means the NFL will revert to its previous structure of using a full roster of officials 
whose employment status is part-time. There's a conversation. I don't know if you and Danny have had it before, but obviously the NFL, we talked about how much money they make and how much the owners make, and yet they don't have full-time referees. And we've seen what can happen, like the NFC title game with the calls and non-calls. I mean, and this is another CBA argument as well, but why would a, why would a league not have the integrity controlled by guys that are working full-time? Yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I, I don't know. I would be interested to see what those stats looked like the last time when they had to use replacement refs. Um, what was that? 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that like the, the eyeball test with the eyeball test, you could tell that they were replacement refs. Like there were a lot of calls missed. So if there's that big of a difference between the refs that you usually employ to do your NFL games and the replacement refs, then why not just go ahead and make them? What are they asking for? Like full time employment would come with what I'm benefits, benefits and like four hundred one k's and stuff like that. Like for league that's printing money hand over fist, I don't I don't understand that's the another thing to do and, that. Yeah, and this, and I get the season because technically the season's you know six seven eight months if you include the postseason. And it's funny because then you'll watch games and you're just like, oh well, this referee's a, a lawyer or this referee's the set. It's like right, but again, like. If you are, if, if TV, and the funny thing is, is like, I wonder, and this is how powerful the NFL is though too, is like, if you're, you know, one of the rights holders, one of our, like CBS, we're obviously a rights holder for the AFC, and then that you pay all this money to try to, to, to put the best product on the field and on TV. Right. And again, I'll, I'll point back to what we had with the NFC title game where you have egregious calls or missed calls. And look, people make mistakes in every sport. Basketball is no different. Baseball is no different. Soccer is no different, but, in the NFL, when you, when you are the money maker and you are the king, it's, it's just unfathomable to me that you can't have full time work for your refereeing staff. Yeah, right. I, l- listen, um, the, the NBA does a really good job. I'm never, you never, I'm never pro referee. Like you're not, you're not in here all the time, but I am never pro referee. Uh, this is one of the instances where I would be like you, you want, you want those guys to be taken care of to the point where they don't necessarily have to be in a law office digging through like, files and doing all of that on on the night before an AFC championship game. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like right. you yep. you want them to be taken care of to degree, to the degree where to your point they can come out there and just concentrate on making the right calls. Like there's there's really nothing else in their life professionally that would be taking away from their ability to do the job or draining any energy from their ability to do the job. Now, personal stuff is personal stuff, but um, why they couldn't be full-time employees, I, I don't have the answer. For Current labor deal between the NFL and its officials run through March 2020. All right, we got 20 seconds left to go. Uh, have a good weekend. That was a good week of shows, man. No doubt, brother. I'm in Austin, Texas for a quarterback shootout. What? Yeah, my taking my son. He wanted to go to a quarterback shootout, so we're going to the QB Ranch in Austin, Texas to do right. a little shootout, see how he does. Have fun, brother. We'll see you, man. Appreciate that, brother. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us all week. Canel and Bell, enjoy the weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday.